Hello and welcome to CBuzz, a collaboration between the Columbus Chamber and CD1025, where we bring you the best stories from uh, Columbus business owners. I'm Dan Swartout, and today we're talking with Joe DeLoss, the founder and head fryer at Hot Chicken Takeover. Joe, your business is blowing up. People are going crazy about it. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Hot Chicken Takeover. So we've got a uh, fried chicken restaurant. Yes. And uh, we had kind of humble beginnings. We started out of a a pop-up location in Old Town East. We actually started in our living room and then moved to a pop-up location in Old Town East at Oakland, Ohio. A lot of a lot of walk-in traffic at your living room for the uh, initial... Something like that. A lot of friends that we convinced with beer and fried chicken <laughs> to help us test recipes. Right. Um, there was also a weird instance where we sold... Uh, we didn't sell it, but I, I got onto Facebook and volunteered. I wanted strangers to taste the chicken, and I met the strangers in the parking lot across the street from my house. Oh, really? In German Village at a car lot. And uh, it was really weird, but it worked. And the strangers uh, soon became friends. Um, they did, and they became like really great customers. There's still uh, there was a couple that came there with their dogs. They like rolled deep to make sure they weren't going to get assaulted in a parking lot or something. <laughs> and they ate this chicken, and they loved it. And they're still like friends and customers. It's really wild. That's awesome. And now the chicken, uh, obviously, yeah. if the chicken wasn't good your business wouldn't be growing like it is. The chicken's fantastic. Yeah. And, but there's also a kind of a, a social philosophy behind your business as well, yeah. correct? So I'm new to the chicken game, uh, but I've been involved in this idea of integrating workforce development into a job environment, uh-huh. into a kind of a for-profit business model for some time now, and I've had a, a couple experiences with that. And so um, once we figured out the chicken, it was about integrating this idea of how, how can we leverage this business for a bigger level of impact in the community. And for us, what that means is that we intentionally hire a group of people that need a second chance at work. And so they may have been affected by homelessness or incarceration or um, just generally have had a rough go at it. And um, uh, if they're motivated and they hustle hard, then Hot Chicken is a, a kind of a unique home for them. And um, it's not... Uh, it's a really unique, I don't know, it's a re- unique environment, a unique kind of family atmosphere between our, our staff and our team, and um, we're excited to do it. It's cool work. Cool. Now, you said your background was not in chicken. Why chicken? What I mean, yeah. what, what caused you to go in the direction of hot chicken? So that the latter piece, the social mission piece, is what... Um, I was eager to get back to, and so I had uh, I had done that in the past. I have uh, done a variety of type of work, but that's what keeps me up at night. And so I was looking for a, an opportunity to become an employer again. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, fast forward, my wife and I take a trip to Nashville in the the fall of 2013. She's super pregnant at this point, and we are looking at kind of just getting out of Dodge for the weekend before the winter hit. Yes. Um, so this was November of 13. And uh, of all the things, Nashville's a really great town. And one of the things people told us to do is you have to eat hot chicken. Right. And they sent us to a couple different places. and um, But we, we ate hot chicken at the home of hot chicken, this place called Prince's. And we fell in love with the community environment and the atmosphere and the line. And there's all these different variables that made it a really special place and thought this is something missing in Columbus. And uh, there, there's an opportunity. And so that set out, you know, this huge course of how do we make how do we make this food? You know, how do we make this and create this atmosphere? And 
that's what we that's where it started. I like cooking, I guess that helps. So you you started with the recipe, you're inviting your friends over, you're inviting strangers over to test it and perfect it and it kind of blew up from there. Yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, we we there was never that much ego wrapped up in the food. It was about how do we create the atmosphere that people want to come to and uh -huh. want to enjoy and I really believe it started in the living room of it was friends and people close to us and we all sat around the same table and um, funny like side story is we were gathering people, we were watching UFC fights, which is something my wife really loves to do. Mixed martial arts. Yeah, yeah. So we would um, invite people over and get the pay-per-view and eat fried chicken and watch fights and... Chicken and headlocks. I like chicken, that. Yeah, and arm bars. Whatever you got to do. Um, <laughs> this, this chicken is so good. I tap out. <laughs> so yeah, that's how it. That's how it started. And then it was, you know, it was really kind of a, an exercise in a lean startup. It was. We didn't have the cash, and we bootstrapped a lot of it. And so it was. How do we build this alongside of our customer base? And how do we get feedback from them that's meaningful? And uh, step by step, and then um, you know, it kept growing from there, and now we're at this inflection point of thinking about how we move forward in a more meaningful way. Cool. Now I'm looking at your resume, and I see you have a history as a financial analyst. You are a director of social enterprise. Now you're the head fryer at Hot Chicken Takeover. Yeah. When you were younger, like third grade, um, were any of these jobs on the radar? I mean, what kind of what did you want to be when you grew up? I've always, I've always kind of hustled. You know, we had a, I had a handful of funny businesses when I was young. For example. Um, for example. So I'll give you two examples. Okay. So the first was in um, probably it would have been like fourth grade, maybe fourth or fifth grade. Uh, we lived in a new subdivision, and my buddies and I all went and raided our cabinets uh -huh. of pop and candy <laughs> and loaded up coolers on wagons and went went around and sold to construction workers that were building new homes in the neighborhood. Um, it worked really well, and then my... <laughs> Uh, my mom realized what we were doing <laughs> and said that real businesses have expenses and yours doesn't, so it doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> nice when your product is free it's, to exactly. you. Our margins were huge. Uh, and so we, we learned that. Um, and so that was kind of my first go at it. Right. Um, in seventh grade, I was an amateur magician uh, and had a little birthday party business. What were, were you, the Amazing Joe? Um, I don't remember if I had a name, but I had like rabbits and stuff like that. It was legit. Had sponge balls and rabbits and tricks and, you know, made, you know, $50 a birthday party. And so is, you're doing the birthday parties, you're doing the magic. You made, uh, you made your parents' soda disappear as you sold it yeah, to the construction yeah, yeah. workers. That's awesome. Now, fast forward. Now, yeah. also... We're talking about, you mentioned a little bit of the social component yeah. to uh, Hot Chicken Takeover. Was that social component, that social awareness, something that you demonstrated through school as well? So, yeah, great question. I think part of it for, for me was learning that I, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Right. So that, that was, I had a, kind of a, a course of corporate experiences and others that said, I belong on my own somehow, mm -hmm. you know, working with a, a tight, tighter team of people. The other thing is simultaneous to that, I had been doing a lot of volunteerism my entire life, my, something my parents really instilled in our family value. And, um, and at some point when these wor worlds collided, I was studying business at Capital University and uh, was still doing this volunteer game. And I realized that I just wasn't making the type of impact that I wanted to make 
on a social issue. And right. so I could have served soup all day and the line would still be there. Right. You know? Um, and so I, I got really compelled by this idea of how, how do all these things I'm learning now and, um, uh, the business world and, uh, that kind of t different type of decision-making and problem solving, how do they apply? And I was really naive at that point and thought, you know, I could save the world and help people pull themselves up by their bootstraps <laughs> and all of this nonsense. And, you know, really quickly you realize when you start building, um, sincere and authentic relationships with people that have had a much different experience than yours, right? you know, that not everybody has bootstraps, uh, and people need a different, um, different kind of opportunities and experiences to grow. And I was lucky enough to have a lot of those when I, when I was raised, um, and so at some point, th those worlds collided, and I learned about this word called social entrepreneurship, uh -huh. that there is a, there's a field and a course of study, and spent out to have the rest of my college career focused around, you know, how do I, how do I equip myself with the skills to do that? Yeah, and that was, I don't know, at least a spark, some really great mentors and great ideas. So you, you had this kind of this passion for, for, for social change. Yeah in college. You also had this entrepreneurial streak in college. So you kind of had a parallel thought as you're going through education. You decided right out of school to become a financial analyst. How exactly did you make that decision at that particular time? So at that time, I thought if I wanted to make impact, the way you make impact is at a nonprofit. And uh -huh. I thought that was, you know, that was the course of action and coming out with a liberal arts education and liberal arts debt, uh, I realized that that route was not a sustainable route for me. Uh, but I also, ha having done, you know, had a couple internships in both the for-profit and the non-profit space, I really felt like there are lessons I can learn and business skills I can gather by working on, you know, in the, in the, the deep roots of, you know, for-profit market-driven business. And, mm -hmm. um, had you know pursued opportunities to be either an investment bank analyst or a consultant, and that's what you kind of did out of business school, and was lucky enough to find a really great firm locally that I could work for. Um, and I, you know, I earned my keep and learned quite a bit for about eighteen or twenty months before I couldn't do it anymore. Right, and I jumped ship. So you jump ship, and then it's not too long before that that we get to Fresh Box Catering. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, when, I, when I left the bank, um, I had talked myself into a job at an organization called Lutheran Social Services, Central Ohio. So did you have the job beforehand, or did you just decide to up and leave no, the bank? No, no, no. It was, uh, it was uh, I had that job okay. and, and moved into it. Um, and so I had applied for that job while I was still employed. Um, I wasn't that crazy yet. Uh, that happens later <laughs> on right. in my story. Um, but so at that point, you know, there as an agency, they were really interested in this idea of social entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. How do we create businesses that can meaningfully extend our mission? And uh, they had a huge mission. They had everything from disaster relief to homeless shelters to food pantries um, to food lines. And so... Uh, there was a really logical connection of how do you, uh, how can we create jobs that can meaningfully employ the people the agency already served? So I was hired with really that as my charge um, and a really unprecedented position for both the organization and myself. So you were given a lot of autonomy with what to do yeah. next. Yeah, a ton. That, that young, just a couple years out of college, sure. and, and, and you've got an entire big social program that's basically on your shoulders and you're what, 24? I think 23 or 24 at that point. And so it was, um, it was clearly something that a lot of trust from the organization and, um, 
you know, it was also simultaneous to that. It was, you know, me being, you know, obnoxious enough to think that I could do it and that I understood everything. Um, and so we, we started with this, this idea um, that, and, and they're really, the, we had to figure out something. What kind, kind of business could we support downtown? Right. And on the heels of the banking uh, work, we had a lot of really poor boxed meals. Just you, um, you, yeah. you got the lunch meeting. Everyone needs yeah. to eat, so you make the call, and they come in, and it's like the yeah, the foam and the soggy bread and the the little lettuce, yes, and the stale cookie. Yes. Like you name it, everybody's yes. done it. Yes, and so for us, it was you know how do we how do we take uh, you know is there an opportunity to do something to remedy that? And our biggest competition at that point was a big corporate you know box caterer downtown and decided to set our sights on putting them out of the downtown market. And um, uh, part of that was so that we could provide jobs to people that were, um, at that point, living in faith mission um, shelters. So you developed the model for Freshbox Catering kind of in concert. You're thinking, at mm -hmm. the same time, we've got this catering idea, and it can benefit us for the way that we would like to employ our workforce. Yeah. One didn't come before the other. They almost kind of merged together, yeah. developed together. So it was, you know, you, you think about all of these types of businesses with the double bottom line, which, you know, one of this, and some people talk about triple bottom lines, the environment, people, profits, et cetera. Um, and so they really have to happen in, in concert and they have to happen together. And at this point, a little more mature in my you know, career and the, the things we're pursuing, what I realize is the, the reason our business and our workforce is so you know, successful is because of our mission. Um, and so it's not, you know, it's not about charity or altruism. It's about just really savvy HR and our workforce um, work really hard for us because right. we work hard for them. Um, so it's not rocket science, but at that point for me, uh, at the kind of origins of Freshbox, it was, you know, we, I felt like we were pushing a line a little differently and had so many learnings to do and, um, yeah, so it was just, yeah, it was a different place to be. So there's a little bit of a time lapse between Fresh Box and Hot Chicken yeah. Takeover. What were you doing in the interim? Just failing at starting businesses, mostly. <laughs> what, were some uh, of, what were some of your ideas that you had? You know, so I had, uh, I really, um, I, Fresh Box really turned me on to the, the power of the workforce strategy we had. Mm -hmm. And just really thought, you know, this is something that there are so many industries that have uh, such difficulty getting retainable, reliable, entry-level labor. And so if we've cracked that nut somehow, how can, we, how can we build a business or build a model that can move forward uh, and support those types of businesses? And so I had basically a staffing agency I tried to start um, that applied the same principles from a workforce right. perspective. Um, but it was, you know, the timing was off. Um, I fell into a couple like moderate entrepreneurial traps of spending too much money, spending too much time planning, not validating all of these pitfalls that I, I think a lot of people go through. And so we got got caught too late in that game, realized that our business model wasn't going to work, and we had to pivot. And for pivoting for me meant went back going back to consulting. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, supporting other organizations that were pursuing this work, and had the opportunity to work with a lot, a lot of great organizations until I had the courage to get back on the horse and try again. So the chicken, you've got the, you've got your friends coming over, you've got the strangers coming over. Eventually, you're getting this recipe so good to the point where they're saying you need to sell this. Yeah, and 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 
it's a term that is kind of new to me when I've looked at your business and looked at you before before today's show. Pop out or pop in? Pop up. Pop up. That's what School, it is. You were close. I was close. I got yeah. I got I got the first half of it. Pop pop up yeah. businesses. Can you kind of explain what that is? Because it's it's a new term to yeah. me. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I think there are there are some entrepreneurs that have the wherewithal to um, invest a huge amount of resources and open up something, get a beautiful spot on, you know, high street as a restaurant or yes. something like that. Uh, and we weren't in that position, you know, my, uh, we, so it's funny. We, we went on that trip and learned of hot chicken when my wife was seven months pregnant. Uh, she didn't stay pregnant for more than two more months <laughs> after that, if you're good at math. And, um, so we had our daughter in January. Right, congratulations. Uh, thank you. And, and in February we decided, Let's do this. Uh-huh. Um, and so we were, we were trying to balance both. And um, so what we found is an opportunity. There's an organization called the Columbus Food Hub. Yeah. And they had a licensed commercial kitchen that was underutilized. And so it gave us an opportunity to get into a space where we could legitimately sell food, not in a parking lot, not across from my house or something like that. Um, but we could legitimately sell food legally, all of those things, and have an appropriate and sanitary place to do it. And um, so we started there and basically rented some space and threw a concept dinner and had kind of 30 friends of friends, uh-huh. so people a little removed from us. And so the idea was... Perhaps that, maybe uh, not so much, uh, more of an unbiased, perhaps, yeah, point of view. Yeah. They don't have something invested in what they're actually telling right? you about the chicken. Yeah, that was exactly it. So we wanted to get kind of unbiased, unfettered feedback right. and, and see... And so the idea of a pop-up is that you pop up in a space that it's not permanent, you know, that, so we, we popped up in what used to be the Near East Side Community Market okay. in their original location before they've moved. And so we popped up over there and um, we started with concept dinner and the concept dinner went well. And then we thought, great, let's see if we can escalate this thing a little bit more. And so um, we got a little bit of press coverage uh, on one of the local media outlets. Mm-hmm. And it became apparent that people were interested. Yes. So we sold tickets. Um, it was a really, I, you know, I wish all of this was intentional. We got lucky on a lot of it. But we, we sold tickets where people would buy a ticket for a certain hour window. Uh-huh. Um, they pre-bought their meal. They pre-selected their meal. So we instantly knew exactly what to order. We had, you know, very little waste. And they already paid for it. And then they, uh, we ran out of the side of this window. People would come up and grab their food and leave. And uh, we were, did a lot of things wrong back then. Um, but it was a unique strategy to test the idea. And so we did a couple of those and then um, opened up more publicly. And it was only one day a week. And then we went to two days a week. And then it became cold and we moved to the North Market. So you're at the North Market now, now, and things are great. The lines are, you know, around the building, out the door, down the block. <laughs> um, I want to get back just a little bit about your employment yeah. model. As you've advanced this employment model and found success with it, have there been any pitfalls along the way you had to face as you yeah. did your business this way? So, um, so generally from a business perspective at this point, we have about, um, I think like 32 employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we've had about 65% retention of the staff in our 15 months of being operable, which is, is, is pretty good in yeah. the industry. Um, and so we liken that a lot to this intentional strategy of employment and HR. And so, yeah, it's not without perils. I, I, I think many employers 
experience the exact same problems we do. And so if you're hiring from a workforce of people or a community of people that have been affected by poverty or low, you know, historically low income or generationally have been uh, living in poverty, certain things pop up around health, attendance, family, uh, dependency, all of these things. And so as an employer, we just choose to address it. And um, so it's the difficulty is that it gets sticky, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it's you know, there are some points where we realize, gosh, we're just, you know, we're in so deep with an individual um, to ensure their success and work alongside them as they grow that it makes it sticky if they're not doing their job well. Right. Because it's, it's sometimes tough to balance that personal and professional feedback um, because we become very invested in the success of our employees as individuals appreciating that if they're successful as an individual and we were part of it, they'll be very successful professionally. And so it's, you know, it's something we work with every day and um, have had, you know, some crazy stories like any other employer. But um, it's just, it's when we, when we get into those situations, we realize given the opportunity we have to support somebody and the trust that they've given us, they, they might not have given somebody else for some time. Um, we'd be stupid not to support them. And so it's just, uh, it's not always easy and it's kind of gray and who knows. Now, other businesses you've seen have grown to adapt and adopt this model as well for their employment strategies, uh, as that is becoming more of a thing in the business community. Are, Are you finding that businesses who are thinking of adopting this strategy are coming to you to ask for advice and, and how do I implement this and, and what do I do moving forward? Yeah, gratefully, we really are. I, I mean, I think a big part of it right now is one of the big communities of people that businesses are talking about are people with um, that have been incarcerated for some reason. Mm-hmm. And so it's um, based on the way changes are happening in, uh, in the correction system and everything, there's an anticipation that a lot of people will come out with these negative credentials on their record um, that it, a lot of businesses are trying to figure out how can we, you know, in in their words, safely, you know, tap into? Mm-hmm. And so we're we're grateful to be a part of a lot of those conversations and share our experience and you know share the share the statistics we've had of, you know, no theft and all of these things and um, that we really believe that a lot of it is perceived risk, not real risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, we're grateful to have those conversations and I want to encourage more business owners to do it. And so. However I can play a part in that, I'm going to try. Cool. Now, we, as we talked about the hot chicken takeover story, we made quite a leap. We made quite a leap from your pop-up business all the way to the North Market, where you're at now. Yeah. There's obviously some time in between there, and, and it's something I'm sure you're asked about all the time. And, of course, we're going to talk about it a little bit here as well. Now, before we get to that, now, when people think of you, Joe yeah. DeLoss— they think of two things a lot of the time. They take a, think of chicken, and they think of Kickstarter. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Kickstarter a little bit, but okay. before we get to that, what are two things that we may not know about Joe DeLoss? Hmm. Goodness. Other than the amateur magician stuff? Uh, that was, that was, that am- was the a, amateur that was magician curveball. and your awesome, awesome <laughs> business model as a child of outsourcing your products yeah. for free. So one of the, probably one of the most unique stories I always have to tell is in between Freshbox and these next businesses mm-hmm. um, that I actually lived in a friend's backyard in a 1963 Airstream trailer. And so I lasted, <laughs> really? I lasted through a winter and two summers. 
it was it was an opportunity for me to really get down to the basics and focus my energy on things I loved. It was my dog and I. Um, so this was before you were married. Yeah, yeah. I think we. I think my wife and I uh, met uh, while she was living in New York, and okay. so we did um, long distance. And she would visit and live in the trailer with me. What did she think about weekends. that? You know, it was kind of campy and romantic. I don't think she would sign up for it now. Right, but. Uh, back then, it was very sweet and it was fun. Except I, I didn't, I I didn't have a bathroom in the trailer, and so part of it was that you, uh, if you were staying in the trailer, you had to go into my friend's house, okay. whose backyard we were living in, which is curious. Your your, um, your friends were very accommodating of that. I hope they were. Okay. I had put them up in the past. It was this okay. great like cosmic, I don't know. So there was something very unique about the situation and all the friends we had. So that was at least one thing. So. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Now, that was great. Where, how did you obtain this trailer? You know, so I, at, prior to the trailer, I was living in Bexley uh-huh. and had a small house that I bought when I was an investment bank analyst and decided that that was just not, that's not where I was at at that point in my life and was looking for something different. And, um, started searching and I found these people online that were trying to do the same thing in the Airstream and for some reason their paths diverged uh-huh. and they were trying to barter for this thing. And um, so I took it upon myself to communicate with them and work out a deal and um, at some point drove home with a 26 foot Airstream Overlander <laughs> that we called Henry. Uh, and it was great. What a change. Yeah. So it was great. It was, it was an opportunity. I had everything I owned in about 170 square foot and or square feet. And it's like it's you were still, prepping for fight club or something. something, something, I don't know, but it was definitely a part of my really, really cool part of my life that I, I look back with, you know, so much, um, I'm just really grateful that I did it. And, you know, now I still have a huge aversion to stuff. I have a little more space. We have, I think like 1,100 square feet now, but I'm not filling it with stuff. And right. So, um, but yeah, it was myself, my dog, my Weimariner, and then four bicycles. I, I have bikes. Yeah. And then a trailer. It was great. That is really fascinating. And I know that it must be hard, too, because having a child now who's one years old, it is very, very easy to acquire stuff and just have rooms full of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty obnoxious. <laughs> I love, we love her to death, but they come with a lot of stuff. So we, uh, we've, we're doing our best right on. To, uh, to rotate things out and I don't know. It's it's okay. So we've got uh, we we talked about things they might know about you. We'll talk about the Kickstarter here in a second. Yeah. Your chicken. People want to know how do you take your chicken? Cold, <laughs> warm, hot, or holy? Uh, it's called hot chicken takeover for yes. a reason. So I take my chicken hot. Okay. Um, I like the drumsticks meal and the bone-in breast meal, the white meal. Um, so yeah, that's exactly how I do it. I can do holy as a sandwich. Um, because it's a little more subdued, but otherwise I'm pretty tried and true hot, uh-huh. a hot fan. 60% of our customers go warm though. Oh really? That's the biggest one? Yeah. How many people go holy? What's the percentage it's there? Like three or 4%. Do you recognize them from being frequent customers? Like, oh, that's uh, the guy. Yeah, there are a couple. You know, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of first and second generation Americans uh-huh. that are, you know, may have been raised on a different kind of palette of heat than, um, than I and so it's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable that people do it, and we actually have a lot of customers that want us to go hotter, and so we've hit the ceiling on <laughs> cayenne pepper, 
which is a, a relatively low ceiling when it comes to heat. And so now we're trying to play around with something spicier. I don't right. know what we'll call it. Holy moly? Something. I don't know. Yeah. Unholy. I, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be on the menu. It'll it's just be some secret sauce. Now now we can talk about a little bit about the Kickstarter piece. Yeah, you, please. You... Um, do you kind of view yourself as kind of the, at least here in central Ohio and maybe even beyond, as kind of like perhaps a poster child or, or a great example of crowdsourced funding? And, and how does that affect business? Yeah. So, you know, I, I've, I've sat on a couple panels about crowdsourcing. Right. And I, one thing I'm confident of, there are people way better at it than I. You know, there are a couple companies that are just doing remarkable work locally on crowdsourcing. Um, and so, you know, what we, what we had that was special is that we had a group of customers already and they saw our humble beginnings and they were part of our story and they felt invested. And so to give them an opportunity to be, to play a bigger role is a really easy transition. Uh -huh. I think a lot of people approach crowdfunding as some easy, it's easy cash, it's easy money. Uh, and it's far from that. It was, I spent probably 30 hours a week for six weeks on our campaign wow. before and during and after. Um, and I think we just now, you know, got out our last package that we failed to send way back when somehow accidentally. Um, and so, yeah, we, I think we were a really good example of how crowdfunding can work successfully. And a lot of it was because we had people that already loved our business and they, they found an opportunity to invest further. Um, but it, yeah, it's almost like a relationship. You're already at this point, you like each other. Well, let's take it to the next level. Yeah. Well, it was it was saying, you know, you've been part of our story to date and our story is like one or two days a week and we want it to not just be this. So how can um, how can we leverage, you know, this relationship and let me pre-sell you some chicken. And um, and so that was is a really, you know, at that point we thought the food truck was, you know, the next strategy for uh -huh. us. And the North Market wasn't a reality at the moment we launched that. And then we got the truck and uh uh, and it was supported by all of our customers. We just got the decal done with all of our customers' names on it. Right. Which is super cool on our truck. And so you can go up there and see yourself on the Chicken Wall of Fame. That's me. Oh, I'm, you're I'm the up chicken. There? No, no, no. But oh, somebody could go up there and say, that's me. You I'm should the... have been up there. <laughs> I should have been. I should yeah. have been. Now, I noticed too, I know this is the radio and this is a podcast, so you cannot see this, but you're wearing the Hot Chicken Takeover t-shirt. That was a part of the Kickstarter yeah. movement as well, correct? Yeah. So we, we formed a great partnership with another local company, Homage. Mm-hmm. And great um, stuff there. Unbelievable stuff yeah. and such great brand awareness and so local. And um, so I'm really grateful they agreed to do it. And we, we decided to come up with this black on gold limited edition Kickstarter T-shirt. And if people wear these into the restaurant, they get two dollars off their meal uh, still. And so is that in perpetuity? In perpetuity. Wow. Um, and so it's a neat kind of you know, is a neat way and it's a great way to get people in your shirts walking around town. And so I see a lot of these. And it's shirts. a cool shirt. It's a cool shirt. It's an homage shirt. Um, they're, they're, we've got another round of t-shirts coming out from homage that uh, some new colors and stuff like that. We're excited that partnership stuck around. Excellent. Um, but yeah, even if you buy a regular shirt in our restaurant, it's a non-Kickstarter, you get a dollar off your meals and people keep, you know, 
people keep coming back and rocking the hot chicken. And it's blowing up. You've gone from a pop-up business to now you have lines wrapped around the block. You're open four days a week, correct? Correct. We're about to, uh, you know, we're going to be rolling out some more days as the year goes on. Is that an exclusive here on CBuzz? I think you just heard that. (laughs) We broke the news, Columbus. We broke the news, yeah. So um, I believe that will start some point in June. We're going to roll out Wednesdays. Excellent. And so the idea is um, the North Market is a really tremendous place for us to be. And Phenomenal. It's a, a great, um, it's an institution in Columbus, and we're grateful to be part of it. We're also, you know, excited to figure out what we do next. And where I mentioned earlier, we're at this kind of inflection point of figuring out what, you know, what varsity level hot chicken looks like. And so we're um, we're trying to work on that now and have some really cool things in the works that will be uh, a little more conventional in the sense of lunch, mm-hmm. dinner, probably some beer, some hey, cool hey. things like that. <laughs> it's, like, it's basically a crime that we don't sell beer with our fried chicken. Especially but, the holy, I'd exactly. say. Exactly. Yeah. So that'll, you know, that we're working on it. Excellent. Um, and we're excited to roll those things out over the course of the next 12 months, hopefully. Awesome. Well, Joe DeLoss, Hot Chicken Takeover. It has been such a pleasure to have you here on CBuzz. Uh, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, I'm, I would love to open myself up to employers that are interested in the type of work we do and would love to be, a you know, find me somehow through Facebook or something. I'd love to communicate about the type of work we do and encourage others to do the same. Google hot chicken takeover or look for a random RV parked somewhere in your neighborhood. Joe DeLoss, it has been such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us on CBuzz. It's been great learning about your business. My name is Dan Swartout. Thank you so much. Uh, We'll see you next time here on CBuzz.